0: Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Pace. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavides, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing amazing Radio.
1: Welcome to It's M-Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Got DJ Mark here. Lavender Gooms. As I mentioned, stuck in Asia. Uh, Just the ways it goes, man. Always have that guy in Asia. Um, No, he unfortunately couldn't make the show this week. Uh, Family commitments came up, but we expect him back next week. Um, Quick programming note is that next week, um, most of you probably figured this out. Uh, We record this podcast Monday nights. And next Monday is uh, the birthday of... Many of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so uh, we will not be recording Monday night. So, um, if you get the, if you are one of the, if you are, you know, I'm assuming you, most of you guys, if you listen Tuesday morning, next week it'll be Wednesday morning. So, uh, just a note right there. And before we get into MMA and which will and what will be a surely Star Wars heavy uh, second pot, uh, part part of this podcast, I just want to make note that um, uh, some sad a sad story this week where we lost uh, Robert Fallis. Um, who was uh he was a coach at Extreme at uh he was a founding member at Extreme Couture, been at Extreme Couture for years now. Um, really responsible for recent successes in the careers of Kevin Lee and um Misha Tate, they'd both tell you that. and he was at Team Quest for over ten years. Uh uh Follis, um died, uh took his own life this past uh Friday uh via gunshot wound to the head. And it's just a real sad story. Um man obviously it's got family and friends and everybody's really devastated about it. Um it's just, you know, this time of year is there's a lot it, this time of year is actually it's a uptick in um depression and suicides and stuff. And, you know, just if you have, if you know anybody who could use some help, try to help them out. So and just our thoughts and prayers to um Robert Fallis and the Extreme Couture team and all of them. Uh Randy Couture wrote something really um Thoughtful about his friend, um, up on Instagram if you want to read that too. So, there's that. Not to bum everybody out to start the show. But, worth mentioning, um, that we lost, a kind of a legend of Northwest, um, uh, mixed martial arts. Anyways, um, as we move on, um, we're going to talk this week about UFC Fight Night on, uh, this past week. Actually, UFC on Fox this past week. Out in, uh, Winnipeg. Um... Hometown of Jericho. I'm just gonna bring that up. Um we're gonna talk about that card. Um, talk about the big win in the main event, we'll talk about some of the other fights as well. Uh we'll talk about any news that came out this week, and then we're probably just the second half of this show is gonna be very Star Wars heavy, just letting you know right now, if you haven't seen Star Wars, we're gonna give you the moment where you can just, you know, not listen.
0: You know. I mean, if Bobby plays his cards right, when he puts this episode out, this will be it's an amazing episode yada yada yada, the last Jedi episode. Because you want those, listen, Bob, let's, let's give the people what they really want on that internet webs right now.
1: Okay. Stefan, go for that SEO. I don't think we name the episodes, do we? This is really just depressing. Um, I do. I write episode <laughs> number, the date, and a couple of the things we talk about, like oh, but, but that's number. not in the title of the, we don't, you don't,
2: it's not episode 250 UFC, that you yeah, have a description. Is. No, it's in the title it, too.
0: Okay, whatever. <laughs> we're always fishing for those Conor McGregor mentions. We just get it in there.
2: Oh, I knew. I know we tag the the podcast with Conor McGregor. I didn't remember. I don't recall us having like titles for it.
0: But
1: uh, you'll learn something new every you know day.
0: What? This is the last, This is the last Jedi episode.
1: Perfect. That's what we're calling it. Um, all right. Uh, this past Saturday night um, in Winnipeg, home of Jericho, um, as I mentioned. Robbie Lawler took on uh RDA and uh Rafael Dos Anjos went out there and did his thing folks um I I think I I know I predicted he would win um not sure I said Robbie Lawler was going to get knocked out but my assessment that Dos Anjos really doesn't stop um was pretty much the case in this fight um spent the first round working Robbie Lawler's leg trying to establish a jab uh second round he landed the long the uh longest combination in UFC history, I think it was something like 28 strikes he landed on Robbie Lawler, which Robbie Lawler was smiling at the end of because he's a fucking wild man. Third round, uh, lot got the takedown, helped him secure that round. Fourth round, more attacks on the leg. Robbie Lawler's leg clearly compromised at that point. Fifth round, another one for Dos Anjos. Robbie Lawler just kind of out there with one wheel. Um, Dos Anjos, in my opinion, going out there and putting a stamp on the fact that he is the number one contender at 170 pounds. Um. Whether he gets a shot a different conversation. Um, Steph, I want to go to you because I was actually listening to the co-main event podcast earlier. One of my, you know, one of the only other MMA podcasts worth your time, folks. And Chad Dundas' uh, opinion of Dos Anjos really reminded of you, reminded uh, me of you. Because he was just like, man, every time I watch Dos Anjos' fight, I'm just surprised at how good he is. Because I'm still thinking like it's 2008. And I'm like, that, that's Stefan, right?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, more or less. And even with this performance... It's. I still feel the same way. I can't shake this feeling with RDA. Uh, I. I kind of told you when we were just kind of talking on the side. My Robbie was a bit of an emotional pick, as I said. 2017 has been the year of emotional picks for me. I want to believe in Robbie, but what was the caveat? I was scared of that Robbie would look shot. That Robbie's mileage, his wars with your condits and Rory's, those would catch up to him too, you know. And so I only saw highlights of this. Pieced up from end to end, that's what it seemed to me. The mileage was there. Is because there's certain things I can't shake, and that when Robbie stood side by side with RDA, RDA seems small. He seems way too small for this. So when if he gets up against Woodley, Woodley's a, he's not tall, but he is a massive, massive welterweight. Look at those like you know thick oak tree trunk legs he has that stuffed all of Damian Maya's takedowns. You know, I I can't but help think that RDA, you know, it's. I'm not. I just don't feel sold on him yet, and I don't know that I ever will. Even if he pieces up Woodley, I'll find some way to probably backtrack on that. But as it stands, I still don't quite believe it because again, beating Robbie is great. I, I still love Robbie, but the division when you're just kind of cleaning out the old guard, you know?
1: Yeah, it's not I the mean, same, I...
0: it's not the same as if he pieced up Rory McDonald, you know? Like I, I, get I see your point, air, but at the same time when he was ch- ch- t- like the ch- uh, title holder himself how often did we talk about we're just waiting for the wheels to come off we're just waiting for him to lose it you know it'll be fun when he does until he does but we didn't believe he was long for that either again i had to talk to you about rda cuz i chronically underrate him but it's just this feeling i can never shake with that guy
1: yeah i mean i think it's just it's not just you and it's just you know let's talk about the man like what's gone on in this man's career in the last few years where he's something like 12 and Three or something, where he beat a murderer's row of people in fights that weren't even a little bit close. Um, he whooped Jason High's ass, knocked out Benson Anderson, beat the crap out of Nate Diaz, be- beat Anthony Pettis's ass for 25 minutes, finished Cerrone in a minute. Um, then Eddie Alvarez happened. Um, which it's no shame in that. Then they went. Then they asked him to go to Mexico City and fight uh, Tony Ferguson in the goddamn sky. He went five rounds. People act. People talk about that fight like somehow Tony Ferguson dusted him. It was five rounds, and Tony had to win the fifth one to get that one done. Came up to 170, beat up Tarek Safadine, smoked Neil Magny, and put a beating on Robbie Lawler. And it's you know, it's a hell of a run. There's no there's no scrubs in this list on any level, but it's just it's he make Marcus he made an impression. It's he's been in the UFC so long, because before all this he was in the UFC for three years. And the impression he left on us wasn't potential two-weight champion.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think a lot of that, and that's kind of the stigma that has kind of uh, carried around with him. That's what, you know, Stefan and the gentleman you mentioned on the other podcast, that some of some of those things kind of stick with you longer. Like I've talked about Cub Swanson and his loss to Jose Aldo. Sometimes when you see these performances where these guys aren't performing really well, those stick out to you more than they're really dominant performances. And I think that happens to a lot of guys that, take some time you know that aren't front runners when they first come into the ufc and just burn everything everyone up and they're just like the prospect that comes to fruition right away a lot of these guys kind of sit in the cooker a little bit and it takes them a few losses and a few struggling fights to kind of get their you know get over the hurdles sharpen their skills and really come into their own and i think that's what we've seen Anjos do in the last couple of years and um you know it's funny when you first started talking about Años, i didn't know who you were talking about because robbie lawler had somewhat of a resurgence himself um, at this point, though, what we're seeing is Robbie has slowly kind of getting out of his prime, right? This guy started really young, um, was a hot prospect, kind of weaned off. It definitely seemed like at some points in his career he wasn't as motivated as he was. When he got back into the UFC, he was hot shit again, and that's when he was really hitting his physical prime. Now at 35, maybe we're starting to see, you know, the gears turn a little bit slower than they were before. At the same time, when you look at the guys he's he's lost to recently, which is Tyrone Woodley, the current champion, And now uh uh, rda these aren't really schlumps you know i'm not ready to kind of fold under robbie and say like you know his better days are past him i still think he can potentially do stuff in welterweight and you know be successful uh but what we really saw was dos años had a better skill set he was more well-rounded uh we knew going into the fight he has great low kicks and we know robbie that's kind of been something that he hadn't really gotten better at defending and kind of making guys not want to throw low kicks at him i definitely seem like it hurt him in this fight I think it hurt him that, you know, like uh, Stefan was alluding to, uh, Robbie's a bigger guy in in this weight division, but Robbie doesn't utilize his his weight that way, right? He's not a guy that's going to clinch up with you and push you against the cage, drag you to the mat, and make you carry his weight. This is the guy that wants to sit in the pocket and throw punches with you, which Dos Anjos is well-suited to do, you know, especially when he's going to chop your leg before he takes those kind of high-risk maneuvers, which is what I saw in the highlights as, as well, is that, you know, that first round, it looked like he was setting the groundwork to kind of slow Robbie down and in the middle and later rounds, when he definitely knew Robbie was tired, he didn't have, you know, he only had one leg to stand on almost figuratively and literally. Um, that's when he was able to do more kind of impressive things, jumping high knees, getting in the pocket a little bit more. Like Bobby said, throwing a 20 strike combination and landing them all. I mean, we've seen Robbie let guys style on him a little bit because he's always had this kind of strategy of, you know, starting strong and then finishing strong. Dos Años didn't let him start strong and kind of just steamrolled that first round into the next round Because it seemed like, Bobby, and you saw the fight, and I didn't yeah. From what I heard was the first round was fairly competitive, but it seemed like all the judges did end up giving it to Dos Anjos. And it yeah. just seemed like Robbie never – a guy who's usually a front runner and then ends strong, not getting that good first solid sh- uh, start really didn't get him the momentum, and Dos Anjos rode his momentum throughout the fight. And I think the most telling thing, probably in the third, getting Robbie to the ground, beating him up there, probably gassed him out even more. Um, Because I think Robbie's the kind of guy that if you're just going to stand and bang with him, his stamina is pretty good. He knows how to pace himself in that kind of fight. But when you're able to take him down, make him carry your weight, you know, do some ground and pound on him like he was able to do. um, I think that word on him a little bit more. Um, But, yeah, it was a great performance from Dos Anjos, like you said, Bob. I think he's next in line because I don't know who's more deserving. I mean,
1: we're talking about in this weight class, we're talking about him. We're talking about um, Darren Till. Um, we're talking about... Because a lot of the guys Woodley's already beat. So he beat Steven Thompson. This is down the rankings. Uh, Woodley, champion. Then Steven Thompson. He's not getting a shot, obviously. Um, then Dos Anjos. Then Colby Covington. Then Robbie Lawler, just lost. Damian Maya just lost. Jorge Masvidal. Jorge just lost to somebody, I think. Um, I can't remember. And then, uh, then Darren Till. Carlos Condit just coming back. Pons and Nibbio, which we're going to talk about in a second, then Cerrone. So it's really between you know him and Colby Covington, and if there's you know a just God, it's going to be Dos Anjos. Um
2: I, 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 I would hope for that, just because stylistically that is because the Covington fight is just like you're I think fighting just a can, dude I mean, that's just better than you at all those. I, I mean, I, I, honestly, it be fun,
1: me, It'd be nice to see him get knocked out, I guess. Like, because that's what would yeah, happen. It, it's
2: just like stylistically, I think RDA is a more interesting matchup, right? I think his striking potentially could give Woodley some trouble. But I, honestly, I think I, I kind of favor Woodley in both those fights. I think Woodley I think,
1: to beat all Welterweights. Yeah. To be yeah, honest. I, yeah, I, I think he's the cool. champion for a reason. <laughs> he's the man. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit more. Let's a uh, little bit. We'll see what happens because Woodley just had shoulder surgery. Um, I don't know how bad it was, but he did. Um, he was going to try to fight through it at one point. So we'll see. Co-main event, Josh Emmett versus Ricardo Lamas. And um, we're really going to go through these card fights much quicker. Ricardo Lamas got hit with a left hook from hell um, from uh, from Josh Emmett. um, Put him clean out. Uh, Josh Emmett took this fight on short notice. um, Showed up three and a half pounds over. At least was nice enough afterwards to say, hey, man, I went overweight. I'm happy to fight him again. Which, okay, that's not going to happen. But sure, nice of him to say that. Um, a nice win for Team Alpha Male here. Their boxing coach Joey uh, Joey Rodriguez showing that more of these guys are getting better hands. Um, but really the takeaway from this fight has got to be like these past couple of weeks, guys. We've a past week or I think it's the same card actually. We got the what happens what when uh, taking a short notice fight goes wrong um, because Ricardo Lamas was supposed to, fight, supposed to fight Jose Aldo. Um, they pulled Aldo to, so Aldo could fight Max Holloway, which Ricardo Lamas found out on Twitter. Then he had no opponent for two weeks. And then they gave him Josh Emmett. And then he took the fight. Then he got knocked out. That happens. You got Tim Elliott, on the other hand, where his opponent missed weight by five pounds. And Tim Elliott's like, yo, fuck that. I didn't sign up to fight, uh, you know, a guy weighs 130 pounds when I weigh 125 pounds. UFC only gives him half his check, which, bullshit if you ask me. Um, And then a bunch of fans call him a pussy because he didn't take the fight. And uh, so there you go, folks. And... Ricardo Lamas, uh, Marcus, how good for his career do you think it would be if he told the UFC no? <laughs> um, I mean, probably better than, you know, having a
2: knockout loss on his record now. You know, I think that kind of stilted any momentum that he potentially had. And I think all the points you made about, you know, taking a short-notice fight and that guy not being able to make weight, um, you know, Ricardo Lamas completely could have, you know, done the same thing and said, like, no, he didn't. He, it's a short-notice fight. He said he could make the weight in two weeks, and he failed to do so. So he breaches his contract, and I don't want to fight him. He could have done that. But like you said, Bobby, like the repercussions from the fans, they don't – I mean, I get this perspective, right? As a fan, you're like, dude, you just like step up and take the fight because I want to be entertained. I was excited to see you fight Aldo, and now, you know, that got kind of screwed up. I want to see this guy fight. Why is he dodging this guy? Who cares if he's a couple pounds, you know, overweight? I think that's a that's a big – it's easy on the outside being like, yeah, take the fight. Don't be such, you know, a, you know what you said. But at the same time, you know, Ricardo Lamas is a confident guy. I'm sure he thought that regardless of the weight advantage, he could still get this done. He was training for Jose Aldo, who's an extremely dangerous opponent, literally just fought
1: for the I belt. I think my man had bills too because I'm assuming the camp for Jose Aldo was going to be, you know, yeah. a bit larger camp maybe.
2: Say <laughs> so, Yeah, but I mean same thing. He could have potentially not taken this fight and be like, look at – um." I'm ready to go get me on the next pay-per-view. If a fight, you know, be on the, the, the sidelines um, if something falls out, you know, at this weight class. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, in this sport, these things come up, you know, frequently. And as a fighter, it's kind of hard. You know, in retrospect, yeah, we all say, like, oh, shit, he shouldn't have taken that fight. He got knocked out. But before that, you're confident in your skills. You had it, a, a big, you know, a, a great camp because you're getting prepared for a really tough opponent. And then something like this happens, and it throws everything in, in – um,
1: yeah, you know, uh, kind of and uh, Steph, uh, Marcus mentioned, you know, you could have just, you know, said, hey, I'm not taking this fight. You know, I'll fight on the next paper, you know, I'll fight the next card or something. I'm ready. I mean, we know the UFC is super reasonable in situations like that. Like, John Jones can tell you that, right? Like, when you just aren't going to fight on short notice, they really are cool with that, right?
0: Well, I mean, on top of that, I think I made the point to you is he's got gotten, he's gotten no sway in this. That's not a name that they're chomping at the bit to promote, to push, you know? Even if this went as we all thought it would, where he, guy, where was that really going to leave him? Was he really next? You know, I'd heard him as, well, this is a great launching pad for Brian Ortega. You know, that's, that's kind of the narrative I heard going into this fight. So he, he was, he was really just in a, he was, his back was against the wall. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of upsides for anyone but him personally winning, you know? Um, yeah, it wouldn't have been great, whatever came next. Well,
1: uh, he's in good health despite getting just cracked. Um, so, uh, good win for Josh Emmett, though. Would have been better if he made weight. But, hell, man. Maybe we only offer short notice of fights to the weight class below, huh? What do you guys think? That everybody makes weight? And it's somehow even less consequential for the
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the guy makes weight, but, like, he's horribly oversized, and it's just like, we're just sending guys to get slaughtered. I don't know if I... Or maybe we don't fight people on
1: two weeks' notice,
2: man. <laughs> I, I think that's a more fair but, you know, ultimately a tougher situation. to kind of. It, it's hard to take that kind of yeah. rule set or something and be like, yeah, if guys, you know, two weeks out, we're not going to have these short-notice fights. I think we get a lot worse cards, right, because we've we seen them do short-notice fights that work out really well. You know, they find, you know, a credible opponent. It becomes, a you know, a great matchup. But then sometimes you get stuff like this where it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Like I mean, you got you, got you got you got good moments.
1: I remember, you know, what was it? Uh, I remember uh, Chris Lieben beat um, Aaron Simpson, I think, and then like sure. two weeks later, he fought uh, Akiyama, and that shit was awesome.
2: Yeah, you know, it. Ha- I mean, like it that. happened. You know that, that's just that's just the roll of dice when you have these short notice fights. Sometimes it turns out well, and sometimes you get this where it's like no one really won that much here, right? Even though Josh Emmett won, he didn't make weight. So, you know, kind of tarnishes the victory a little bit. So it's unfortunate, but this stuff happens, and, you know, we must go on, and Ricardo Lamas will bounce back from this. We'll have to get a couple more wins to kind of get in the title picture again, but that's just the nature of the beast.
1: Yep. Um, Santiago Ponzanibio, Mike Perry. Um, I think it's time for people to start giving Mr. Ponzanibio here a little bit of credit, uh, folks. He's uh, got a hell of a record, and he has won six straight. He's 26-3. and three. Hasn't lost in, uh, two and a half years. Went out there on Mike Perry, and this is a real crackerjack of a fight. Um, kind of knew it was gonna be fun, uh, cause quite frankly, Mike Perry doesn't really disappoint in terms of entertainment in the cage. Uh, he's, he's, kind of a crazy person. Um, he, uh, kind of played the bull to, uh, Ponce Nibio's, uh, mat- uh, Matador, a bit in the first round, but then really, uh, just turned into a real fun scrap between these two guys. Um, Ponzinibbio was already ranked in the top 10 took a fight outside the top 10 here he probably deserves I mean Darren Till maybe I don't know maybe somebody better Um, Steph did you catch any of this at all or any of the highlights
0: I did not this was kind of the one fight I missed out on
1: okay Um, I'm just gonna petition for something everybody else has been petitioned for um, and I wanna see uh, Mike Perry fight Robbie Lawler because I think that would be fun to watch
2: I think that's great that makes a lot of sense I think
1: (laughs) yeah fuck it Let's do it. And I don't think Robbie Lawler is at a point. I don't think Robbie Lawler is that done, to be honest. I think he just can't beat guys in the top three or four, maybe.
2: Yeah. Like I mentioned, RDA is, like, super credible, especially since he's moved to Welterweight. He's just been, you know, lighting yeah. up guys. So, I think that's a really And he ain't get knocked play. out either. Yeah. No, and he survived, too. And I think that's important. You know, the, the guy's chin's not gone— he just he met a guy that had you know a more, a more well-rounded skill set that utilized that skill set extremely effectively against him. You know, there's no shame in that. Sometimes the guy just has your number. That's definitely I think what we saw with RDA. But Robbie and Mike Perry I think match up great. You know, and, and, and even personality-wise they kind of contrast each other. You know, Robbie Lawler is a soft-spoken guy. Mike Perry says loud stupid shit all the time, and I think. You know, but when you lock them in the cage, they fight very similarly, right? They want to sit in the pocket. They want to throw down. They want to have exciting fights.
1: Especially Robbie can counter strike pretty well, and Mike Perry just comes at the I'm motherfuckers. Right. Yeah. yeah and I great. mean, and it, it makes
2: sense. They both just had really tough fights. So they obviously will need some time to recover. And then they probably both are going to be chomping at the bit to kind of recover some ground that they lost in this event. So yeah, I think that's great. I really hope they make that matchup. I think you should tweet that. I think we need to get it out there so people. Everybody, everybody,
1: everybody's talking about this, man. Okay, good. Like, go ahead, go. like immediate, immediately, when the card was over, everybody's like, "Yeah, we should just do this." Good, um, good, good. Misha Serkinov, Glover Teixeira. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the conductor of the hype train. I think I gotta. Uh, I think we're gonna bring this thing to a halt, folks. Um, Misha Serkanov was looking real good on his feet, folks, and I know Glover Teixeira is a good fighter, a very good fighter, probably the number the next contender. The way things are looking. Depending on how hurt Alexander Gustafson is. Um, but, he, see, Serkonov got on the ground and they said he was a black belt. And I, I'm not even, oh, I've never been to grappling in my fucking life. Mark knows I quit wrestling the first day. Okay? But, Misha Serkonov was like, it did, he did not have anything on the ground. Like, he had nothing for Glover. It was done so quick, it was depressing. Um, and then he, like, tapped to strikes, kind of, I think. I mean, which is fine, but just overall, no man. I need Misha to like. I need him to fight some like. I think he's pretty young still. Let's let's. I think he's like twenty. I hope he's still in his twenties. He's thirty. All right. You know what? It's okay. He spend the next two years fighting young bu- young guys. We bring you back up. Um, Glover asking for a title shot by basically being like looking at DC and being like, "Hey man, we're both old. Let's do this." That was good with that too. I don't know, I mean... man. It's two o five. It's two o five. What do you want me to say? Like yeah, I mean, DC's this, got an an a... We need to.
2: I mean, Glover, just say you want the title shock because you might get DC next, and he won't be for a title. Maybe that's yeah, what he wants.
1: Maybe he's We cool might have a best. no time situation.
2: Yeah, and I think of no times holding it. I don't know if anyone's going to want
1: to fight. Man, if they, on if, if they booked, Oz if owes Demir is the champion defending his belt against Glover DeChera. I want to see Dana White try to promote that fight. <laughs> oh the my Vulcan god, is easy. He's no time. He's got a gimmick.
0: That, that uh, all the people who could be problematic. At least he has a gimmick. He's got a lot of knockouts. He's he's got something marketable. But you know, you're right. This light heavyweight division. It's it's why I didn't pick Misha. It's why I picked Glover. Is you know, in featherweight, we're seeing this surge of young guys who are starting to push out the old guard of guys. You know, you got Ortega coming up. Max is a young guy who's like clearing them out. Not at light heavyweight. This is a this is a wasteland. Anyway, heavyweight
1: is better than light heavyweight. Oh,
0: that's well, true. They do have like, new That's a, that's a fluke.
1: You Steph, know, try to get but, a little closer uh, to Mike. Yeah,
0: light, heavyweight. That's just a wasteland. That's all I'm saying.
2: No. Uh, Bob, I didn't know this, though. Glover
1: and DC never fought each other, though. No, they have
2: not. Um... I mean, that kind of would make sense. I mean, if DC – I mean, yeah, DC's got to get past uh, no time. But if he does, I mean, I, I just looked over Glover's, uh, Glover's, you know, record. And he's got a couple losses there, but they are against top-tier guys like Gustafson and yeah, uh, Gus
1: just had surgery. I think Gus people wanted Gus to be fighting DC already, but Gus had uh, a Surgery so I don't know how long he's out
2: Well, I would say, you know I think no time is kind of the the new blood this division needs so bad and I think you and me Bob both were hoping Misha Would kind of come up underneath him and we'd have a couple guys that are kind of new to the division that are kind of giving us some interesting matchups misha doesn't quite seem there yet but i mean having glover in dc i mean i I think that's a a fight that dc can win i think it's a very winnable fight for him but it's a new matchup and i think that's kind of exciting because i think at this you know at this moment in light heavyweight new matchups are good enough for me right like i'm just these guys have been around so long the fact that they haven't fought each other that's kind of impressive for a whole different reason
1: Man, my uh, I think my UFC's long-term pan, plan for 205 is just that they hope that Weidman and Rockhold will age themselves out of being able to cut to 185 sooner rather than later. And they just have those guys, send those guys up to 205. Um, all right. Um, I didn't catch anything else on this. Steph, I know you saw the prelims. Anything noteworthy? Um,
0: the contender guy won the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis Marquez. That dude's just a fucking brawler. He had a weird post fight in which he was really happy and he challenged Tyron Woodley to like a beard off. Uh-huh. It was really awkward, though, because it's like he, he, Marquez, again, he's a fun guy, but it's like he's a little awkward. He did a lot of call and response questions to the audience. Like, who wants to see me have a beard off with Woodley? Who wants to see me fight on the London car? That sounds fun, right? And I'm like, these Canadian guys watching a Cuban guy petition for a fight in London. None of these things are related. <laughs> so he had a lot of dead crowd space. It was it was worth a watch because again he he comes off as like a guy who's trying to have fun. It was just really awkward. But um, in terms of an action fight, it was just good. Again, not a lot of names, but it was a lot of Canadian guys getting KOs and TKOs on the undercard, um, and Jan Blockovitz uh, showing some signs of life. It was it was pretty action packed. Is all is uh not not a lot of stakes, not a lot of names. But um, not a lot of grapple fests either. Not a lot of snoothers. You know, no one was that great, but people went for it. And there were several knockouts. So, um, But Juan Marquez from the Contender Series, that was kind of the one name that stood out. And I think someone made the point, the Contender Series seems to be a much better vehicle for finding prospects than looking for a fight based on uh, records thus far. So, um, yeah, if it's another reason to get rid of the tough format, I'm all for it.
1: Steph, whatever you were just doing right there with the microphone was perfect. I don't know what else to I feel like I do this in the middle of the show because it went really well. Um okay, um that's it for this card. There's not there's no card this weekend, because fuck, man, it's Christmas. Um there will be one the following week. We're gonna, as I mentioned, we'll have our show next week where we're gonna preview this uh Holly Home and uh Cyborg Santos Sa- Sa- Santos Justino fight uh for the 145 pound lady strap. Um Good card all around. Um, we might actually, we're actually going to predict the Habib fight for no reason because God knows we can't trust that it's going to happen. Um, but, you know, we got Habib and Barboza, Jimmy Rivera, John Lineker, Cynthia Calvillo, Carlos Esparza, and the return of Carlos Conant versus Neil Magny. Um Miles Jury, Rick Glenn, Luis Smolka, uh, all on the undercard, including with Mark Dia Casey um, down there, too. So good card. Really good card. Uh, all right, uh, memoirs of a fight fan. What are we doing this week? Favorite KO. Favorite KO. Um, if you have a couple, go ahead and say them. I'll lead this thing off. Um, one of them uh, is when Quentin Jackson knocked out Chuck Liddell, um, uh, second fight they fought, and it's because uh, I was watching it with Mark, and Mark was so happy that it made me happy. You know, you know, I'm like because Mark was just. He was so happy. He's like, people don't know about Quentin, man. Quentin's gonna knock out Chuck. Watch. He's gonna knock out Chuck. And he knocked out Chuck, and it made Mark so happy. And I, that always stuck with me for some reason. Um and then um the other one is um when uh fucking Qu- when Quentin Jackson knocked out Vanderle Silva. The th- the in the third fight, which I think still the most perfect left hook anybody has thrown in this sport. And then a bunch of punches afterwards that were real mean. Um yeah. Marcus, go ahead. As I just so I said one of my favorites is because it made you happy. It was adorable.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think knockout is probably one of the hardest things to pick because there's so many good I mean almost every, every knockout. We could be doing a, this for an hour, no problem. It's a special so, yeah. snowflake. You know, they're all different, but they're all special special in their own ways. There's no there's no right or wrong answers in this. Um and one of that kind of came to mind and there's, there's so many it, it's hard to just I'm just thinking like, okay, what are fun ones? And one of them was a fight that you mentioned, but that went the other way. I think one of my favorites was when Vanderly Silva beat, beat Quinton Jackson the second time they fought. Because dude brutalized him with the knee. Jackson fell face, force, face first. Luckily, uh, Vanderley Silva got out of the way because what made the knockout so special was that the ropes actually saved Quinton from dropping straight to the mat. But then he, he kind of dangled there and his blood was pouring out his face. It was a... Magical brutal moment. Honestly, we,
1: we could we could we could have just honestly we probably could to go with what's your favorite Quentin Jackson and Vanderlee Silva. Yeah, damn, those man. all work too because the
2: first one was fucking bonkers too. I mean you're um, gonna bring
1: up Rampage Jackson. Uh neither of you mentioned his power bomb knockout.
2: Oh the power bomb. The power bomb headbutt, the the sneaky headbutt that that really knocked him out. Uh I mean the. There's kids, so many there was a
1: time where we revered these two gentlemen. Okay. It was great. They weren't crazy old and kind of fat. That's only rampage. Sorry, rampage.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm, a couple other ones are just like old timers in pride. Um, I mean the Don Fry and uh, what's that? What's that big dumb idiot's name that broke his neck? <laughs> I should have called him big dumb idiot for his Jesus.
1: Silver. He's on his
2: deathbed. <laughs> it's Yoshida. Tan- it was, it's not Tanaka. I'm messing it. Up. Uh, it's It's Takayama,
1: man. Takayama. That's it.
2: I mean, that was a that was an all time classic. No, fight. which
1: is the one where the guy gets get tipped over with a tree, uh, like he just went face down. Um, like Tim, it was a timber situation um vichov oh, got him against the thing and the guy just kind of oh that
2: was uh god it was francis something i mean it was it was kind of a, it was an early pride fight that it, that guy never really came to fruition after that i can't remember his name but that was a great i mean Vochanin had a ton of good ones um i was also thinking it was kind of it was it was a tough knockout but it was kind of bittersweet and especially you know i mean i'm now i'm going to highlight two guys that are you know are not doing well um but when Gary Goodridge rematched Don Fry, Don Fry had beat him in the U- in the UFC, and they've always had uh, a friendly rivalry. I mean, as two guys that were kind of like the only North North American guys in Pride, I think they always had a lot of respect for each other. But they rolled that one back, and Gary Goodridge just creamed Don Fry with a head kick. I don't think anyone saw that one coming. He went he went face first on that one. There's the evil kick with Gary Goodridge, Krokop uh, knocking uh, Bolchanchin out. I mean, there's so many good ones, and you know you have Quentin Kevin Randleman. Slams uh Randallman with crow cop i mean he that was
1: uh, mark I, I for someone as excitable as um moro i i the most excited he's ever been was when Kevin Randallman knocked out uh crow cop, yeah, that he was lost his fucking mind
2: <laughs> yeah you just you didn't think there was any world were we, where Kevin were we was
1: watching going? that live. Because I, I swear so. I thought we were I thought we were watching at your house, yeah. That was
2: around the time that you know we were doing the Pride pay per views and stuff yeah. like that. But it, there's so many, and I'm not talking about any of the ones in the UFC. And there's just been a plethora of you know. I mean, yeah, I, I did, get in on
1: this. Snap, just start saying some of your well, One more bad. I didn't want to mention
2: Nagano and Alistar, even though it's super. Oh yeah, of course. Clean, that was just
0: like one of the most brutal head snapping knockouts I've ever. That's seen. the
1: hardest a man has ever been hit in the head I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, I was going to mention that one just for recency bias, but Mark is right. You can. Put a million qualifiers and caveats on this, because knockouts are like the history of the sport, right? You know, you you, Krokop was known for his head kick. Gabriel Gonzaga made his name off of high kicking Krokop, you know. There's these signature knockouts. Connor with his signature obliteration, 13 seconds of Jose Aldo, you know, the Anderson Silva front foot kick to uh Vitor Belfort. Granted, it really was the follow-up punches that actually KO'd him. But that kick lived in infamy before. Leoto did the straight karate kid one where he does the switch jump kick on Randy Couture, you know. Um, and then outside of the UFC, just because he was such a legend, he's a bit of a punchline now. But uh, what was it? Infliction, I believe it was. Or oh, Affliction, I'm sorry. Where it was Fedor versus um, Arlovsky. And Arlovsky oh, Jesus. Was lighting him the fuck up. And then Arlovsky decides to go for this flying knee eats like a big overhand and just face plants dead on the ground face forward like straight up cartoon knockout but you know um it's impossible to say one just knockouts are why we probably love this sport you know everyone loves a great slick submission but it's that knockout that we're all secretly watching with our bloodlust for
2: (laughs) i think in retrospect maybe we should have narrowed it down to like knockout punch or or something yeah we
1: didn't think this out properly um (laughs) Yeah, just start naming knockouts. You're like, you know what? Honestly, if Anthony Pettis had put Benson Henderson away, that's the one we all would have said. It would have been much quicker. Oh, it would have been like a like, cage kick. Yeah, we would have been like, he clammed on a cage like a fucking ninja. Well, he wins.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we're just going mean, to just gonna throw a couple more in there for silliness since Mark was saying like specific things. Like, if we did best elbow knockout, it's got to be uh, Anderson Silva's back-up elbow uppercut against, uh, what was that? Tony it? Frickland. Cage rage? Was it Tony Frick? Yeah, no. that was, that was that yeah. Cage Yeah, Something like that. Yeah. And then, uh, and I thought you were going to say Matt and Brown. Like,
2: and who, who did Matt It, it was I... Diego?
0: Oh, he killed
1: Diego. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that,
0: that slicing elbow. And then uh, just bullshit qualifiers. My favorite tough knockouts were both Uriah Hall. Uh, the spinning kick where he had to apologize to Adam after because he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Adam. I just murdered you. I'm sorry. And then when we saw his from-the-ground off his back punch knockout and you're like you're never supposed to punch when you're on the ground and you got your back to the mat you can't generate any power and then Uriah did knock someone out like that on uh tough I was like well never mind I guess you can punch from your back on the ground I just remember after uh, after that after after that fight
1: after that fight he went to Chael and Chael just goes Uriah I've been in this division for 10 years you're a contender and I was like Jesus I mean like Chael wasn't even bull Chael was just like Fuck, man! I might be on top of him one day. <laughs> but,
2: but what's funny is, like, like so many things, Chill says. Like, it seems like it's true in the moment, but he's absolutely wrong. You're right, man. All. He could, never he really seriously contender. We know he,
1: know he could to be too. too. Yeah. That's the sad part here. You know he can. You know it's all there. Yeah, it just never
2: came to fruition for him. He yeah. never got all the pieces I mean, he's together, still
1: but... kind of young, maybe. it's memory, Yeah, he can man. still, like, a run. He can't – I don't want to the guy Michael, Michael Bisping didn't become champion until he was, like, 40. So, exactly. shit. And he ain't – the only. you know, Robbie Lawler. There's so many
2: guys you can point yeah. to. You're like, you know, just because he's hey, not – right now. man, but...
1: Dosanio started off, we thought, was a journeyman, and yep. look at him now. Yep. So um. – All right. Um. Okay. Okay. Uh, i lost my train of thought here let's do stuff we like um we're going to talk about star wars in a little bit in a bit here just real quickly um just to knock out something quickly i uh if you haven't checked out i'll go first if you haven't checked out uh black thoughts uh blacked Off from the roots aka tariq um went on hot 97 on funk master flex's show and did a freestyle that went 10 minutes and it was gold and it made me happy that he got a lot of press for this because some of us remember the roots for being the roots and not just, you know, in, you know, on the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon, like a really good hip hop, you know, group from Philadelphia. Um, black thought and Questlove are really the pioneers of the group itself. They're both still in the group. Um, this was just amazing. It was great. It's got like 3 million views on YouTube. I imagine a lot of you have seen it. It's kind of nice to see some old school hip hop, uh, you know, get some love, um, Especially in the era of mumble rap. Not that I don't like some mumble rap. Hey man, you know, I like the Migos. You know, I'm um, I got it. I'm you know, I'm I'm cool with it, fellow kids. Um But it was it's uh the Black Dot freestyle is just truly excellent. So check it out if you can. Uh Marcus, go ahead. Uh yeah, uh me and Steph will probably
2: talk about the thirtieth anniversary of Final Fantasy in a sec. Uh Mike wanted to talk about it, but he wasn't gonna you know he wasn't gonna make the show, so he wanted us to shed some light on that. And I think me and Steph could both talk to that talk about that in a second um not not a lot of new games coming out this is really the time that's not a great time to you know release a new game right before christmas and the holidays where all the shopping has probably already been done um so i will shed light on it you know if you have a playstation 4 um this week was the first week of their holiday sale there was a lot of you know good stuff on the store for you know a good discount especially if you're a playstation plus member um i ended up picking up and i would recommend this even though it's gonna be tough because if you're listening to this Live this sales probably over. So hopefully you've already purchased um, ultimate Street Fighter 4 I think is a really good snack for $10. Um, that's the Third or fourth iteration of Street Fighter 4 which is already a pretty strong game. Um Obviously this version has all the characters they added so the rosters insane. There's a lot of modes So there's a lot of content there especially for $10. Um, I ended up uh, Snagging the second season of Street Fighter 5. I ended up playing a lot of Street Fighter 5 over the weekend getting some online stuff Uh, If you didn't know, they are kind of repackaging Street Fighter V in early January with their Arcade Edition, which is going to include all the characters from Seasons 1 and 2, and they're also going to be adding in some new modes. But they also mentioned that they're going to be taking away some of your ability to earn fight money, which is the in-game currency where you can buy new characters, new stages, new costumes, and stuff like that. So I'm kind of doing all my grinding before they take that stuff away and hopefully I can get as much fight money as I can to you know, get new stages and stuff like that. But I've really been enjoying my, my time with Street Fighter V. I've always thought it was one of the better uh, 2D fighters out there, even though it got a really bad rap when it first came out because of lack of content, which I think is fair. Um, but it's a really strong uh, playing game. Um, and I did want to shed light on a podcast um, uh, I've been listening to over the last couple weeks. It's called Hello from the Magic Tavern. Uh, they're actually part of the Ewolf studio of podcasts. It's an improv fantasy podcast where the basic premise is this guy fell through some portal behind this Burger King, and now he's in this mystical land called Foon, which is kind of like a Lord of the Rings or um, uh, Chronicles of Narnia kind of magical place, and he does podcasts every week there with um, a couple of his friends at the Magic Tavern, and they always have a guest come on that's either a different creature or something along those lines, Um, and the fantasy realm is just a really... It's a really fun podcast to listen to. They've been going on for a couple of years now. There's a lot of episodes to kind of catch up on. Uh, but they are fairly short, too. They, they they average around, like, 20, 25 minutes. So they're very digestible. Um, I've been listening to on my them uh, on my commute, and I've really been enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, Steph, if you had anything, we can go into that, or we can just start talking
0: about Final Fantasy, I guess. Um. Yeah, I mean, between Final Fantasy and Star Wars, I think that covers. So. Um, but, yeah, just for Mike's sake. He wanted to mention and you know mike is uh, our new resident otaku um today is the 30th anniversary i believe of the final fantasy franchise um and if you grew up playing rpgs specifically japanese rpgs which kind of were synonymous to me mostly growing up they didn't really have a separation until later in life because that was the quintessential rpg experience but uh final fantasy has kind of been one of the oldest long-running granddaddies of them all um yeah, uh, Mark, you, you're better in terms of a historian. I mean, I, I kind of personally came in around the PlayStation generation. Um, I actually started with Final Fantasy VIII, not seven. Went back with seven, of course, because that's a legendary one. I, I, I know I've teased you, Mark. How many times have you bought Final Fantasy Seven in your life in various platform to platform?
2: I th- I think four. Because I got it on the ori- original PlayStation 1, and then they, re- they re-released the PlayStation 1 version on PS3, and I got that. You could also play it on the Vita, which was really cool. Um, it came out on PC, and I got that one. And then most recently, a couple years ago, it came out again on PS4. Um, and yes, Steph, yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. There's really there's two long-running JRPG franchises, um, Final Fantasy, of course, and the other one being Dragon Dragon Quest. Uh, but really, Final Fantasy is the one that really came, you know, into providence in uh, America, right? Especially with Final Fantasy VII. That had a huge advertising push and i know i know for me that was kind of the first game that i can really remember that was a jrpg um and it was really magical i mean the the things that they were able to do and how they kind of pushed the medium with final fantasy 7 uh really changed the landscape and it, it it really got the western audience into jrpgs and i remember for me you know i knew about final fantasy 7 it was getting a lot of coverage a lot of advertising But it was really in, I remember specifically, it was EGM's 100th issue. They did the top 100 games. And I remember, I think they they gave Final Fantasy VII somewhere in like the 25 range. And then in the top 10, I think it was nine, was Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III in the States here. And I was just like, what? Like, I played seven. Seven's fucking amazing. Like, how can this game be better? And I played six, and it was a fantastic RPG. Of course, if you're going to talk about Final Fantasy, it's not in the lineage of the series, but it's, you know, made by the same developers. You have to talk about Chrono Trigger. Um, but really, you know, like Steph mentioned, um, it was that PlayStation era that I think Final Fantasy really exploded. Um, 7, 8, and 9 are considered the all-time classics and are often kind of debated about which one is the best Final Fantasy. It's usually of those three. There's, of course, outliers. You know, a lot of people like ten. A lot of people really like um I think it was 12 that just got re-released on PS4. Um, and, and the series is still going strong. You know, it was just, I think, last year that we had Final Fantasy XV, um, which was very different. And I think that's one of the cool things about the series is that each game is self-contained. I think when you just look at the titles, you could think like, oh, Final Fantasy 8." I haven't played one through seven, so I'm going to have no idea what's going on. That really doesn't matter in this series because each game is unique in and of its own a lot of times they switch stuff up from fantasy to sci-fi to a mix of the two um and then even more recently you know just how they're changing the battle system in final fantasy 15 is more of an action rpg than a turn-based rpg that we're used to with the playstation games. so the the genres just been evolving and whether you like what it's changed into or you have hated the directions they've uh you know they've gone in um it's really left an impression you know in the uh genre and just in the whole you know video game landscape and I, I think 30 years is kind of a testament to just how long-standing this is and it's still going strong you know there's really no end in sight they haven't mentioned anything about 16 but you know we have to mention too that uh, 11 and 14 were both uh, MMO RPGs, and 14 is still kicking there's a lot of people that say that's probably one of the best mmorpgs you know ever released so Final Fantasy is just a super strong, probably one of the most recognizable just video game franchises and definitely, you know, the most recognizable uh, JRPG out there for sure.
0: And that's what I, what I want to just give it credit for is, you know, um, it seems so commonplace now because there's a lot of great storytelling in video games. But, you know, the, some of the Final Fantasy series were among the earliest at really showing the kind of epic scope of stories you could tell with in a video game and just in terms of like maybe not so much these recent additions but also I just haven't played them the way I used to but the final fantasy games were known for making you care about these characters they created her- heroes you know um final fantasy 7 is a long thing in video game lore about people crying over the death of a character you know um and what's also been great about final fantasy since you know the modern day is such a nerd culture heavy environment with all these sci-fi comic book superhero properties you know, uh, there's a big complaint we have against a lot of Marvel movies, and that's that they lack compelling villains. But some of the Final Fantasy games, they created villains that were just as iconic as their heroes, you know, be it a Sephiroth from a Seven or a Kefka. You know, you had these villains who actually stole the billing from the heroes because, you know, it's, it's one of those things they learned early on. You to have a compelling villain. You kind of got to give them equal screen time. You got to develop uh, their motivations. They're not bad just because they're bad you know they they also can be the victim of a traumatized like childhood or something um and these things are very commonplace now but um if you grew up with these games you kind of remember final fantasy being one of the early ones who really pushed these things forward and uh yeah it's just some of the greatest hundred hour video game adventures i ever had if i was able to put that much time into a game anymore um but happy birthday final fantasy
1: happy birthday final fantasy um. All right, kids. Uh, if you haven't seen Star Wars, um, you probably want to duck out yeah, here. That's weird. Yeah, well, what's yeah. wrong? You know, with you? You're busy this weekend. You,
0: you, you haven't seen Star Wars? Are you that? Are you an MMA fan that hates Star Wars? Are you Ryan Bader listening to this podcast? Get out of here, Ryan Bader.
1: Um. Okay. So, our loyal listeners. Um. We're gonna talk about uh Star Wars for the next. I don't know how long. Um. So, um, feel free to join us next week. As I mentioned, we're going to preview UFC, uh, 219. I think that's the number. Cyborg at home. Just a crackerjack of a main card. Um, going to dedicate a lot of time to that. Um, got a bunch of controversial, controversial figures on that card. So we'll see what the card looks like next by next week. Hell, um, just, uh, want to wish all of you guys, uh, right now, um, those of you celebrate, uh, Merry Christmas, um, buy your family stuff. They will enjoy. And it's from the heart. No gift cards. Come on. All right. Um, Stefan, um, I'm gonna let you, uh, I'm gonna hope your microphone doesn't let me down. So, uh, <laughs> go ahead. And, uh, so when I start waving the, my arms in the air, that's a sign. It's not going well. Yeah. Um, I'll Stop talking at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah go ahead, I, buddy, uh, we're going to talk about uh, star Wars, the last Jedi, which we actually all saw together Saturday night or uh, starting around the time, Robbie Lawler and, uh, Dos años, who uh, are yeah. getting in the cage. <laughs> I got to
0: say, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't go on opening night. Oh. You know, I've always been one of those fans. Uh, shout out to my buddy Johnny, who I typically gone to see Star Wars premieres with as a uh, young teen into early adult, bringing our lightsabers, battling the children. But yeah, so this uh, past week was the big Star Wars Last Jedi week. It, I believe it opened to with a $220 million opening weekend. Um who, who would have thought that, right? Who would have thought Star Wars would be such a big, big money bagged cash machine? But we all knew that was going to happen. Um, the interesting thing, I think, th- to come out of this all is, boy, has there been some review controversy. Um, I don't know if you guys have been following, but there is a battle for the Star Wars soul uh, right now. And I did want to get your guys' thoughts on kind of the controversy of the reviews and the scoring. Um, but I thought, we, you know, we could start with something positive about the movie. And this was probably one of the funniest, if not the funniest, Star Wars they made. They – I feel like they took a page out of Thor Ragnarok, and they really amped up, like, the humor in this. Bob, you were laughing your ass off. Like, if there, any of, like, the huge jokes – like, what was the joke for you that stood out? Because you were cracking up this whole movie, my man.
1: Man, okay. I was kind of in with where this thing was going the second Luke Skywalker chucked the fucking lightsaber over his shoulder. I was like, yeah – all right, that's that's the attitude I wanted. I got gotcha, you, man. Um, are we gonna save up the review controversy thing? Cause I got a general thought about it. Or we wanna? Well, you wanna uh, go? I, you're leading. you leading the discussion, man. You need to take it wherever you want it to go.
0: <laughs> well, I, I thought we would just st- start with something light about it. You know, it was a very humorous movie, and I, I think they tried a lot of joke stuff. Um, like I'll start. Yeah, that kind of. Op- it was a lot of fun. Opening exchange. That opening exchange with General Hux, and the mm. is that is General Hux? I'll hold. Hi, can you hear me? They did the can you hear me now joke for a solid, like, little 2 minute run there. And I was like, you know, my, my picture of General Hux um, – what's his name? Uh, oh, he's been in a lot of things recently. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Help me. You, you know General Hux's real name? Yeah, no, I don't man. remember anything he's
1: been I, in. Honestly, I, I was going to say man. I was going to say he's an Eric Trump-looking motherfucker. I don't really know his
2: name. Yeah, but I think he had been in something, like an English guy or something. I can't. Yeah, I can't
0: really – remember what he what he had been on previously but oh dom hall gleason he's been in a lot of things uh he's been in black mirror episodes um he's been an extra in like a lot of stuff damn it it's one of those things he's just kind of an actor who's in everything but he hasn't quite blown up yet but you know they just kind of made him screaming nazi guy in the force awakens so um he still was that but they gave it a lighthearted twist which i liked um yeah mark you we i didn't quite hear you cracking as much as much but like how are you on the like, vibe of this
2: movie? Uh, no, I mean, I thought it was really funny. And I think what I liked about it was, and I think this is kind of where a lot of the criticism is coming from. Um, it, it, It's coming from a lot of different angles, right? It's not just like one certain thing that people really didn't like about the film. But I think one of the things that you can kind of see now that Disney has kind of taken over, and you can see it a lot more in this film than the other one, that it has that kind of... Marvel-esque kind of humor to it, right? And I think really what what Star Wars is even more than Marvel is that, like, this movie was super self-aware of itself and kind of how... And I think this is what kind of peeved some of the hardcore fans is that, like, Star Wars is in and of itself kind of a silly thing, right? Like, and I think they they became really self-aware of that and poked fun at some of the things that are kind of silly. But I think for hardcore fans, like, some of the stuff shouldn't be made fun of, like they they buy into the lore they buy into this universe that has been for the most part you know a pretty stoic and serious kind of film franchise right like there, there's always been kind of little jokes and gags but they've never been as prevalent or as frequent as they were in this film and i think like bobby said it it, it made the film fun because it kind of messed with your perception of what star wars movies usually are so when you have that iconic moment where ray is handing luke The lightsaber which was literally the end of the last film and it was this very tense moment was like oh these two characters are finally meeting how's this interaction gonna go and it's kind of one of the things you ponder about when this movie is coming you know coming up and is gonna be shown like how is that interaction gonna go how are they gonna play off each other and he just chucks the lightsaber just like I did not see that coming that is very funny because not only is it just a a good bit but it, it and it lands well it was just completely unexpected as well
1: Marcus I um I sent you guys all this uh, article earlier today, and what you just said reminded me of it. The article's headline was a list of some of the times The Last Jedi told the other Star Wars movies to eat shit, which was basically an article about how, like, all the times it's, like, taking a yeah, shot at and, some of the older stuff. And I, think, and I mean, obviously the article's being, like, it's not telling it to eat shit, but it was, like, kind of, in terms of, like, flew in the face of what was the way they were doing things. Right,
2: and I or, think, like, you know... What, after watching the film and kind of re uh, uh, you know, evaluating it, um, yeah, you kind of saw like yeah, they 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 it was super self aware and it poked fun at a lot of the things that fans kind of were interested in hearing. I mean, because one of the gags that they mentioned in that article and that I thought was really funny was when Luke goes down to these weird aliens and they have like these big teats and he's just like getting milk from them. And it's that been, was it, hilarious. It was, it's been a the, thing, right? the giraffe cow thing. Because in, you know, in A New Hope, they, they have dinner and they have this, you know, sci-fi milk. They like this weird blue milk. And I think a lot of people kind of were like, what is that stuff? And then in this scene, like, not only do you see what it is, it's like Luke literally gets a bunch of this milk, starts chugging it madingly and just looks straight in the camera like, is this what you want, you stupid geeks? Now you know it's these weird <laughs> animals we get the milk from. Aren't you happy now? Isn't this stupid? How much you care about the blue milk? Okay, and I'm
1: I-, I don't think it was. This- I don't think I don't think it was that harsh. Jesus. I, 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 mean, I mean,
2: when you look at that scene, Bobby, he's looking at the camera like, now you know, stupids. This is where it comes from. Isn't, <laughs> isn't all your fan fiction you wrote, you know, 10 years ago irrelevant and dumb now? Because it's just it's, just, it's sci-fi nonsense
1: okay. fun. I mean, if, if blue milk is still milk. It comes from a tit. I mean, come on now.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't I mean, It was nice to see Mark Hamill back in uh, fine fashion.
1: Dude, Mark you know, Hamill got
0: in un- some shape. Yeah. He was one of the guys who, unfortunately, his career never really took off the way people might have pre- predicted his trajectory. I know he had a bad motorcycle accident, which kind of, uh, you know, left him in bad shape. He really, you know, made his his kind of claim to fame kind of became behind the camera after the fact with his voice work as a Joker. But um, it was good to see him back. You saw him re energized for Star Wars. But um, as we start leaning into the actual controversies around this, um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but... It broke my heart a little bit to see Matt Hamill's statement on this film. Um, And that's what he talked about, is when going into this movie, he, after he read the script and everything Ryan Johnson, the director, had planned, he said to Ryan Johnson's face, I vehemently to my core disagree with every character choice you have made for Luke Skywalker. But at the end of the day, he's always been considered a team player, and he proved it. He's like, but I'm here, and I'm gonna act to the best of my ability to make your vision come true. But Mark Hamill also had a a problem
1: with. Mark Hamill also didn't approve of everything Luke Skywalker did in Return of the Jedi, where he disagreed with everything George Lucas wanted to do. It's worth mentioning. Um, But uh,
2: but before we get off it, I want to know because when I was watching the film, I mean, and I think it's very true. Luke Skywalker in this film. He said
1: he liked the movie. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Luke Skywalker in this film is very, you know, a lot more comedic. There's a lot more jokes around him. Uh, and it's not quite the same loop that we saw, you know in the original trilogy. But at least for me when I was watching the film, I really just got the vibe like he's kind of doing his shtick as Yoda, right? like as as the Jedi master who's unwilling to take on this new pupil. and that's kind of what Yoda did. And Yoda was kind, of, you know, when you first, when you first saw that that character, it just just that character in and of itself is funny, right? He looks like a little Kermit the Frog that is age is about like 200 years and he talks funny and he's whacking this this little guy with a stick and it's just like he's a humorous character and i feel like they're kind of trying to do that with luke as well where he's just like this weird kind of hermit guy that doesn't want to teach you he doesn't care about the you know the jedi ways he throws the lightsaber you know through his back and he's doing all these rudimentary chores and stuff and he doesn't want to uh, teach ray and when i was watching the film i really just got like oh he's he's kind of doing his version of yoda you know trying to make this young padawan if you will Kind of earn it the, Marcus, the right excuse
1: me one second sorry hey stefan i think we're picking is that lumpia right by? is lumpia right by you
0: yeah she is okay because
1: oh, we're. i'm just getting we're getting her breathing real deep that's just we're picking that up very clearly sorry but, Marcus.
2: but yeah how, what do you guys think of how they portrayed luke because obviously you know uh mark campbell wasn't super stoked about it and i've seen a lot of fans one of the biggest gripes is that they don't like how they handled luke They kind of made him a joke. And I think when you get into the end of the film, some of the decisions they made about the final fight scenes and stuff like that were, and, you know, we said spoilers. Ultimately, he dies at the end, and that scene was very weird because the cause of death, you have to imagine, he basically astral planes an image of himself to fight Kylo Ren and then also to talk to Leia. And I think, I mean, my interpretation was that's a lot of strain, I guess. I don't know how the Force works, but
1: it seems like, Having yeah, okay. the Hollywood I mean, and him shoot
2: across the universe might was, kick it out of
1: you. I've thought about this movie a lot. And honestly, um, I am, the more I think about it, the more I'm good with everything that happened. The Really, I did not, Luke Skywalker, I would have preferred, I don't get why they did the ending the way they did. I don't get why he couldn't just be there if he's going to pull an Obi-Wan. Um, what, um,
2: and I hate to cut you off. What I did like, though, is that the ending kind of rang true to what Luke says earlier in the film or in, in, in another stab at star Wars fans where he tells Ray like, what do you expect me to grab this, this light, you know, this uh, light sword and just start swinging it around and take the empire out. And then at the end of the film, it looks like that's exactly what he does. Like he literally comes out with a lightsaber and just fights Kylo Ren one on one, which is the exact opposite of what he said he was going to do. So, and, and that was one thing I didn't really connect the dots until after the fact. I was like, Oh yeah. Like, because i was with you bobby like if you're gonna kill him off and do the whole obi-wan he kind of disappears why not have him fight kylo just like darth vader and obi-wan did and i think that's just another thing in this film where um the director didn't want to do the same things that were done before he wanted to change it up and i don't know if that was a great move because it seemed weird right like i just i, I was with you bobby like why not just have him be there and then have him do it in person instead of making up this new force power which doesn't make a lot of sense where he can Basically, project himself and physically be there to fight Kylo Ren with a lightsaber. It was, it, it was, it was weird. Did, it was they the cl- did, they,
1: did they actually clash?
2: They did. No, 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 no I didn't. think at um, one point he blocks a lightsaber. I almost, I swear to God, I, I think thought he
1: slides. No. I thought he was just dodges. He
2: does, it he, do- he dodges one, but I think he hits. I, 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 well, I on, have to watch it once. Okay,
0: I, I'm gonna have to backtrack a little because you guys kind of went deep on it. Um, before we, I got off Luke. One thing I wanted, I wanted to. Um, Shit. Actually, I'm, I'm blanking on what I wanted to say about Luke. So I'm going to go in. Be- and then before I dig in, because I feel like we should describe what the controversy is, the big controversy backlash. It's not just the things that we had critiques of. There, it The critiques mostly center around what the backlash is. And I think the simplest way I could describe it is fan service versus deconstructing the Star Wars universe to thus leave it open-ended for the next generation. Because that's what Ryan... The, for the fans who are really protective the old trilogy fans who are really against this movie. That's essentially what the accusation is. And it's true. Ryan Johnson tried to deconstruct the Star Wars universe. He tried to do it bad. He tried to talk about, we don't need heroes. You know, he tried to hold the whole thing with Luke. That speech Mark just said is about, yeah, Luke's not just going to save the day. It's the whole thing we see with the resistance. We don't need heroes. We need hope. You know, like you can't just go around as a suicide bomber but this is my critique of the movie for all these points that Ryan Johnson made. I found it very internally hypocritical. We don't need heroes, but in the end of the day we have these heroes who saved the day, you know, like I think there was one critic I was uh, watching about the movie and she loved the movie, but I thought she said was absolutely true is never have I seen a movie where so much happens, but nothing happened at all like, every th- sequence that happens in this movie is ultimately for us to be in the same place, you know? The whole Rose and Finn sequence was simply because, um, Ellie from Jurassic Park did not want to share her plan with the other 20 survivors, because that's the time for secrecy, right? Is, uh, we're not gonna say what we're doing as we're running out of fuel, so we're gonna have this whole hash brain plot. Oh, but that never had anything to do, so that was just a vehicle to get Finn on this planet, or this spaceship and everything. But, um, that's that's kind of I think that's really where the controversy is, you know. I think old fans they Ste- believe. Steph, do you? This is this is a Star Wars battle. This is the Skywalker family. We want to see Luke be a badass, but Ryan Johnson says no. He he went realistic. He went modern times politics on it. We don't need heroes.
1: Steph, do you not think? And I'm like, I'm sure the right answer to all this is definitely some happy medium. That's always the answer. Um, but I think some of the old school fans are just kind of. Wanting a nostalgia act where they just kind of want the first three to play out again, the exact like, all right, the first one's gonna be like this. And it, hell, the first one, honestly, Mark, I saw it with you, you walked out and you were just like, that was a lot <laughs> like think, episode four. I like, that was I- like,
2: I think that's what a lot of people said after the prequels is like, we want something that is more reminiscent of the original trilogy. And, and episode I think seven farce, is
1: so much like episode four. And I, and I
2: think it got a lot of backlash because of it. Like a lot of people, I think a lot of people like the film a lot because it was a good Star Wars film. And I think the fan base, I know myself was just starved for just something that reminded me of the original trilogy and not the prequels, which just never landed with me. And I think those, those films had a myriad of problems that uh, these newer ones don't. I think that first one, it it hugged too closely to A New Hope and basically hit all the same beats. And then with this film, they tried to do something radically different. But I think we can all agree that there's a number of plot holes within this movie that just don't...
1: That were kind of unsatisfying
2: and don't make a ton of sense, right?
1: Yeah, and I I totally agree. And, like, Steph, I was going to say, like, because there's... In my head, the closest thing I can compare Star Wars to in that a movie that's gone, like, from, like, the 1970s to, like, now... It's kind of like James Bond. Honestly, would be another one like that. Where like, there's obviously more of those movies, but some a movie where there was they made movies about him in like back in the day, and now they're still making them now. And in those movies, and sure a lot, I mean, they're not treated as like the way Star Wars is, of course, in terms of respect and all that stuff. But like, there's been an evolution of how the movies have kind of functioned. In that, if you watch the first James Bond movies, it was a bunch. It was three karate chops and a flip to put take a dude out. You watch James Bond now, the motherfucker knows Muay Thai, you know? So, like, there's some evolution on some level.
0: I I think the thing with those things, though, is there's always evolution, you know? The the stories will follow the politics and the social matters of the time. James Bond, James Bond are certain tropes, you know? There's certain mechanisms. It's why people got excited about Kingsman and didn't like the backlash on this uh, uh, Daniel Craig one is, where are the gadgets, you know? where's the super high-tech fanciness they you know that was the that was the um that was the dark night fallout of everything needs to be dark and gritty and realistic now but hell batman still had gadgets you know you don't take that stuff away from james bond it's all about q the the i mean they kept the nice cars i guess they had him still like do his sexy alcoholic shtick you know one of the things and i think that's what people were getting to worry about with star wars and sorry to Backtrack now, because I did remember what I wanted to say when we were talking about Luke. And Mark made the point about the curmudgeon Luke being Yoda. How awesome was Yoda showing up? And how awesome is it that it was the goddamn puppet Yoda? Because that was my biggest critique of the prequels, was not using practical effects, not having... That's the charm of Star Wars, this analog world. Where they clearly took all these like budgetary items and they built the sci-fi set. I got tired of the CG in the prequels, so I love seeing Yoda. I love seeing Mischievous Yoda. Because as Mark Harkin to Empire Strikes Back, that's what we were introduced to mischievous Yoda. And like he's like, Yoda yeah, was yeah, such a dick. <laughs> those books weren't page turners. Like, <laughs> screw those texts. He's like, Oh, I'm gonna set this thing on fire. He's like, I can do that for you with lightning. And that was a new thing they introduced. You know, because remember one of the big jokes is when Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And it's like, oh, you can you can cell phone call people now as a ghost. No one ever understood was you'll be more powerful than possibly imagined." I'm like, oh, if you can create a storm and shoot a lightning bolt from the force ghost mode. OK, that's actually something to speak to. Um, and then the thing I was going to point out to Mark about me being certain that they never made contact. Is people with keener eyes pointed this out and i didn't catch but if you pay attention to the whole thing that they established that when someone steps on the ground there's the red salt pattern it people like have distinctly pointed out upon multiple viewings that every time luke makes contact with the ground there is no footprint so it's clear that he's not there so everything he does with kylo except at the end where he lets him strike through is him dodging so you never, unless you're paying attention to the footsteps, you don't, that's the old, that's the one tell
1: that he's not actually there. That was a, that was a badass scene. I'm sorry, that was, that was visually, let's just take a moment aside, that looked cool as hell. That reminded me of like Kill Bill and shit when they did like the fight outside in the snow and she was wearing, and uh, Lucy Lou was wearing all the white and the red and the yellow from um The Bride. That type that oh, was yeah. like visually striking. That was awesome. I, mean, I thought that was amazing.
0: Another thing that along that same lines is saying like this is really awesome and you mentioned Kill Bill who you know harkened back to a lot of like samurai film uh homages and everything. I thought Ryan Johnson was beautiful was the um the one shot like royal guards versus Rey and Kylo with that that was badass backdrop. Too. You know like that wide shot that is that is the the Akira Kurosawa like the the one the sword fighting and everything. I mean look Ryan um,
1: Johnson shot the shit out of this right. I mean let's let visually he shot the hell out of this thing. I mean, Visually, it awesome.
0: most spectacular Star Wars film by far, and I will cut to, I think it's one of my favorite visuals in the history of Star Wars. Um, when Captain Holdo, comma Ellie from Jurassic Park, when she lightships ships the speed, the, her, the ship through um, Snoke's Imperial ship, and that moment where it goes stark silent, they play no sound effects, and you just get these multiple angle shots of that light speed fracturing of the big, like, star cruiser one of the most amazing shots i've seen in a sci-fi film period. you know, um i have a lot of issues with this film plot hole wise and incomplete stories, but visually i cannot take anything away from ryan johnson. he had a that what he did visually was very different for star wars, but i thought visually his choices were all excellent.
2: yeah, i i agree with all that. i was going to mention the um the light speed scene cuz that was another one that was super striking. um but just to to kind of get back to the controversy and you know why people some hardcore fans don't seem to enjoy this. And I think there is definitely a disconnect with some people and just that they can't enjoy something if it's inherently flawed, right? And I think this movie is flawed in a couple different ways. That being said, I think we all really enjoyed it and we could recognize that, like, yeah, some of these plot devices don't make a ton of sense, but they didn't deter, at least for me, enough to make it where I was like, I can't believe in this world anymore because the stuff's happening, right? And there is a lot of storylines like, there was the whole what i think they're calling it, like the c plot with finn and rose and they basically went on this mission that ultimately didn't mean anything right like it didn't work it didn't really advance the story the only thing that really advanced was you got introduced to these kids that potentially one of them has force powers right and they believe in the rebellion and i think that that whole story arc with them was to get them in this location get this kid a ring and then we see that you know he believes in the rebellion and the rebellion's taking flight in a young generation that you know is still coming up and has these force powers but i I think one of the biggest plot devices which is just kind of silly is this whole chase scene where you have this like a star destroyer or whatever slowly chasing this one rebel ship and it's like oh we can't god damn it they're just out of range and we can only hit them with this one thing every couple seconds it's like you fuckers have light speed why can't you just literally get a thousand ships to come right in front of the other ship? You're like, Nope, you're not moving anywhere. We're just going to blast the shit out of you. It's just like, there's a lot of little things like that, where it's just like, you understand that they have to build this scene where it's like, Oh, they're kind of in this, like this chase scene that they only have so much time, but we need to have them have so much time that we can still push this other plot device, which is going to another planet. I think at that point in the movie where they're like, Oh, I, we understand how they're tracking us. We need to find a co breaker. So we need to have you guys go to another pl-. It's Like, wait, they're gonna leave the ship and go to another. Why doesn't everyone just go to another planet right now, then? Like, what's the? I... There's a lot of things that don't make sense, right? But all that being said, like, it didn't take away from my enjoyment. But I feel like a lot of the hardcore fans, when and especially with a movie like Star Wars, right? This is a film series that is always highly scrutinized, right? With the hardcore fans, and they kind of nitpick at every little thing and get into the minutia about like, oh, why would this character do this? How could Boba Fett survive being in this thing? You know, there's lots of like kind of backstory lore, lore that the fans kind of get obsessed with, and I think when you watch this film and you can see these obvious plot holes, so just so out there in the open, like, wait, this doesn't really make sense. It just gives them a lot of fuel, and they can't be like, how can this be a good movie if this one thing doesn't make sense, and how can it be a good movie man, all, if these man, don't things think, don't like, make
1: sense? All these damn movies, man. Every Star Wars movie. And I think it's what not, you're
2: about to say, like, that's what this film was also doing, right? Is, like, shedding a light on itself and being, like, this stuff's kind of silly, right? Like, it's it's a light sword. I I just um, think
1: we yeah. all need a okay, I think, like, look, no one on this podcast is doing this. But, like, I always talk about this where, like, everything's either going to be the greatest movie or the worst movie of all fucking yeah. time. I just want to know, none of us are that old, but fuck, man, I remember seeing episode one, two, and three. Probably two or the, two or three of them with you guys. And I remember walking out of those movie theaters and trying to justify somehow that this was good. Um, I just want to know where we were, okay? Like everybody goes out here and shits on this movie as somehow terrible. No, those were bad, okay? This honestly was among the better ones in my opinion, and it's better than those three. I think it was easy.
0: I think it was great. Um, you know, yeah. What you're saying, I really too, dug it, man. I think. I, I, this is going to be, be sound high and mighty. Like I think everyone needs to think like me, but in a sense, I wish more people would. I simultaneously really enjoyed the hell out of this movie was captivated by every moment of it. End to end, you know, Leia getting blown out of the window. That was choking me up. I couldn't breathe mm. in that moment like that. I thought, you know, before she, before we get to see Leia use the Force, which is just fucking awesome. We've all been waiting for Leia to use the Force, right? At the end of the day, she was the daughter of Darth Vader. So that was a great scene. So, like, I, I love so much about it, but I also have critiques. And I, I, I do think people need to realize that. Not everything you like is flawless, and not everything you hate is irredeemable. You know?
1: you can Everything, 99% of these things in this world are between a 3 and a 7. This one... And- around a seven i
0: and i i want to talk about a couple of points specifically that uh, i'll mention now because i think they're sources of the controversy um one raised parentage and two snoke's death um raised parentage i know a lot of people who spent many times theorizing and connecting all the dots of why she's this person i love the fact that her parents are nobody because the jedi are not royalty the point of the Jedi is a little boy on a desert planet with a slave mom could be the chosen one, you know. I I love that, but and then you know Snoke. I didn't see that coming. Was that a great thing that I just kept me on the edge of my feet? Yes. Here's my problem. That's a little cheap. Introducing Snoke to be this unexplained, super powerful. He got he 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 scared the hell out of uh Luke Skywalker. He turned. We're not gonna you you won't, you're wondering who he is. Who cares? That's a cheap plot device. That is a cheap tactic to introduce a He's character Darth Maul. who is there just to die. Yeah, and people hated that about Darth Maul. That is a cheap tactic that you're not going to develop agree. this character. That is very central. You know, I um, thought it was cool. I thought it was cool how they did it. But that's cheap that you would introduce us this character that you would not develop any further than that. You know? I will say,
2: I, I I do kind of agree with that, but, and I'm, I feel like I'm probably, you know, alone on this because it's one of the reasons why I like the third X Men movie, which everyone hated because I, I like being surprised, right, in a film. And I feel like in a lot of films, everyone has, like, story armor, right? Like, they can't kill this person. He's too crucial to the story. And then they kill them, and you're like, oh, fuck, I gloves off like i don't know what's going to happen next because that guy was crucial he was basically empire you thought he was going to be in all three films and just like that kylo kills him off and and i agree with you it is kind of cheap but for me the shock value is always more interesting because it it messes with my perception of everything going forward right like you just killed cyclops like now no one's safe i don't know who you're going to kill next because my my reasoning for like oh none of the main characters maybe a side character will die and it'll be kind of a heartfelt thing but to kill off Snoke like they did, which was just like in an instant, it was just like, "Oh, you're gonna kill." Was
1: it Andy Circus play game, Marcus? Was it Andy Circus? Still? Oh, was I, I, it always oh, Andy Circus with this shit? It, it was Andy Circus. It was. Yeah. Okay. The yeah, most it, underrated
0: sorry. actor in Hollywood
2: is Andy. Circus. Yeah, and, and I, I agree. It's just it is kind of like a wasted opportunity. It was like, yeah, who was this guy then? Like I, he's dead now. We'll never know. Um, but I love the shock value of that, right? I was just like, "Oh shit!" Like, I didn't. You, you I mean you, you kind of saw it setting up because you saw. Kylo moved both lightsabers like, oh, something's going on. He's going to kill this fucker. But I I, I like that. And I I think this movie does a good job of keeping you on your toes because I think it's so easy to just look at Kylo and Ray and be like, Kylo's bad and Ray's good. But the whole thing about the Force is that it corrupts, right? Like if you're – even when you're on the dark side, that light side keeps calling to you. Darth Vader couldn't be totally evil. He couldn't kill his son, right, because there's this part of him – that is conflicted. And you saw that with both characters. That's what I really like. Even with Rey. Who in the first film. There's just like all oh, goodness. right? She's a bubbly personality. She's tough. She's a badass. She can, doesn't even know what a lightsaber is. Next thing you know. She's winging it around. Like a fucking Jedi master. Which another another thing that people hated. right? We'll kind of talk about the, the diversity in the film. I'm sure. I love but...
0: Luke's line to her. Rey in that moment. When he was just like. You went straight to the darkness. You didn't even. You didn't even stop. Yeah. Back. You were just like. You went right
2: at it, and I thought that was. And I think, I think even with Kylo, it's like this is a guy that just like in his soul is like, I want to be this evil guy that you know Snark is trying to make me into, and I'm trying so hard to be that. And even though I'm fully committed, I literally stood in front of my dad, and he said, "Just come with me. We'll start over. and It'll all be fine." I killed that fucker in cold blood, and he still doesn't believe me. <laughs> Because like he still he, this guy like he knows the force and he can feel it in this character is like there's still something that's holding back and I can feel it even though you killed Marcus Chico, that's not enough.
1: Marcus, let me ask you this, talking about moral ambiguity. Whose version of what happened between Kylo and Luke Skywalker is the truth? Yeah, I
2: think I mean it, it to me they didn't really differ that much, right? It was Well I mean
1: one of them one of them was that he was just holding it, yeah, the other one is when he went in there to kill this kid. I like, think like one of them, Luke Skywalker Skywalker was hesitating. He was it, it, I, I guess I kind of believed
2: Luke's version a little bit more. Because he kind of admitted like... But you don't know, I'm saying. Yeah, well, you don't. You don't and know. The, and, the, and, the, and the, that's interesting. But again, it's that conflict, right? Like Luke, Luke has seen ultimate evil, right? In his father and in the Empire before. And he gets this sense that Ben is also... Or Kylo is also leaning that way. And he has this this moment where he's like, Should I end it now before it gets too bad? And I, I mean, my interpretation when I saw it was that he went in there with the with the intention of killing Kylo, and he I think he he brought the lightsaber out and he was going to do it. And in that moment, when Kylo woke up, he had a change of heart. Like he saw he saw the person right, and not the the evil. And in that moment, Kylo saw a, a threatening figure and, and and did what he did. And that, that was my interpretation of it. And who knows, right? And that's and that is one of the story devices in there that is kind of interesting, right? That's the kind of uh, who shot first, right? Was it Han or Guido? That, like, we don't really know the full story. We don't really know what happened there. We have these two different conflicting stories. And, and we know what will happen, right? Uh, George Lucas will get the rights back, and we'll just see that Luke never brought out the lightsaber, and it was just Kylo was was evil, and just ruined all the fun for everybody. Yeah. But I like
1: that. It's different, man. So I, I kind of dug it. Steph, let me ask you this. Do you not think that Adam Driver playing Kylo Ren is us just getting, a, like, what would have been the good version of Anakin Skywalker? Like, emo uh, Kylo Ren? That's what Anakin should have been? Like, this level I mean, a bit yeah. of a badass?
0: 100% actually. I think the it's what you wanted to display with Anakin and what you do get with Kylo is you wanted to show them as temperamental and immature. But Anakin came off as specifically whiny. Like as that a was whiny bitch. that was the big issue. There is because what was the best part of Force Awakens in my opinion was every time Adam Driver as Kylo Ren when his mission went wrong, Ray got away and he had his tantrums. And he just had the lightsaber out. He's just slashing up at the wall. That scene where the stormtroopers walk by, oh like oh shit, Kylo's having one of his uh, rage fits again. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like let's let's go the other way. We're just gonna patrol the other direction. Um, Dude, how great I, was it
1: when he fucked up his helmet? That was awesome.
0: I I gotta say, Adam Driver, he's the star of this series to me, and um, in terms of positives in this movie, I thought that's what this movie showed us, is I thought Force Awakens was showing us that this is Rey's story, after Last Jedi, I think this is Kylo's story, you know? Um, Rey kind of fell to the background in the, like, latter act of this movie, like, latter two acts of this movie. She started strong on that island with uh, Luke, but after... She kind of became disillusioned with him, and Luke was disillusioned with the Jedi. It's it stopped being about her as much, Um, and I thought that was an interesting shift. Uh, You know, Ray, she's great at what she does. You know, it, it's nice to see. I think that was something they did well was the tension of. In my head, I had made types of theories. I think Kylo's going to turn good. I think Ray's going to turn bad, and I was like, there was halfway through this movie, I was like, I think I'm spot on, and then the end, I'm
1: like, oh no, they're just. Oh, Stefan, dis- you are you were calling the. Out. You were calling the Bret Hart, Steve Austin. You were calling the WrestleMania 13. We're gonna get was double heel. The heel, the
0: heels are gonna turn. You know, I, I was
1: calling the switch.
0: But um, you know, so that's that's the good stuff. You know, like being on the edge of the seats and all that. Man,
1: okay. You know what I like? You know who I thought was good? And I'm I'm a big fucking you know. Let me go. I'll use the terminology for. I was a. I'm a big mark for this guy, Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro showing up okay. in a movie and showing up and speaking nonsense like what I kind of don't know what he's saying. I'm in for that. You, from usual suspects to guardians of the galaxy. Anytime Benicio wants to show up, even though his character was pointless, fine. I'm up for all that shit. My biggest criticism in this movie, alright? And I don't feel we're talking about this enough. This fucking Chewbacca had nothing to do, alright? Chewbacca and Luke Skywalker scene should have been five minutes at least, if we're gonna just have him in there. I bet, honestly, I bet Ryan Johnson was pissed that at the end of the last movie, they sent Chewbacca. With uh, Ray, because Chewbacca should have been hanging with Princess Leia that whole time. All right, that's yeah. what it should have been. I,
2: I think there's a couple characters that really just didn't get a lot of service done, and I think Chewbacca's a good one, right? Like you had this moment, was like, oh, he meets Luke, and it's kind of cool for a second, but it doesn't have that resonance of like when you first saw Han Solo and like in the Millennium Falcon, and you, and I mean they, they had a trailer to kind of set that up, but like oh, we're home, with Chewie. Like there was real heartfelt like connection there with those characters and that ship. And then when Chewie met Lucas, like, what? What are you doing here? This is crazy. All right, I'm not. I'm not following this chick. She's crazy or crazy. And then, and then the rest of the movie was like, okay, we we need to add in a new character to sell plushies, right? So here are these weird little penguin characters, and basically, what the rest of the movie was him not eating the penguin, and then him flying the Millennium Falcon with the penguin, and that was really it. That's really all Chewie had in this one, which which I think probably is sad because in the Force Awakens, not only did you get a lot of great Chewie moments, like he was badass, like. You finally saw that stupid crossbow gun he carries and it's just danking these dudes like 50 yards across when they get his like whoa she brought this carrying some fucking heavy heat right there and it was cool and then in this movie he, he really didn't have anything and another character that they threw in in like three-fourths of the way in was captain plasma literally not in the movie at all and it's just like we're gonna kill finn let's bring in that character we made up and let's have them have a little fight and then kill them off and it was just like we gotta sell some toys man it, gotta sell some but, toys. In like, leading after the Force Awakens, they kept saying like, "Oh, you're gonna get a lot more of that character in the next movie." We were just this first movie was just to set her up, and now we're really gonna explore. And it's like you didn't do
1: shit. She fought. man, there's there's something to be said like, for having like there's something to be said for having like a singular vision across the series. Yeah, and I think where it does come. I mean, I mean, like we don't we don't get those in a lot of these movies, and quite frankly, like the Marvel movies get it because of Kevin Feige. He's the one who runs all these movies. He's the reason Edgar Wright kind of got bounced because, like, they have a vision of how this is going to go. You can only stray so far off topic. And, you know, you get to like Wars, those- Star Wars artists.
0: does have that, though. That's that's who Kathleen Kennedy is to this current trilogy. She the is first the two, they they're so that's, different, though, man. They, the they first were, two movies are so she's, different. She's given license to the directors to certain degrees, you know? Um, but I think she she has limits, right? It's the same thing we heard in the Hans, young Han Solo- is the uh, Lego movie guys. They were going too off, they were going too off script. They were making it too much of their movie. And there's certain tones she wants to have, you know, she has certain overarching structures. And I think Mark alluded to one of the critiques is, um, and this hurts coming from me, Kathleen Kennedy's forced diversity. It's, it's not always worked the best in some of these movies. Cause it feels forced in these movies. Um, Cause the one a critique I heard from a lot of people, and I think most people agree was, I think it was cool she was in the movie, she played her well role, but this Captain Holdo character, that could have been anyone else. That could have been Admiral Akbar who made that sacrifice. Because we Admiral Akbar survived this whole time, he was still in the Resistance, he was on the damn plane. We we give him no proper send-off. Sure, Leia came back from the blown-out cockpit, but Akbar was lost to space. You know, it could have been him who, who, who did the self-sacrificing move, um, you know? Uh, Why is he still a fucking admiral? <laughs> it's been like 30 years. I don't know, like where, where's, where's I don't know how go you advanced stuff, but was the, I thought that was the highest rank in the Navy. I mean personally I not a Navy though.
2: <laughs> I mean, uh I personally I I it's not a popular kind of saying that goes around, but I consider myself to be a social justice warrior. As a white male, I always hear like Especially in Star Wars, where's the black characters? Lando can't be the only one for me. And I mean. Step. I mean, in Bobby, is there any Middle Eastern character in anything? I mean, not really right now with any prevalence. We
1: got we got we got some uh, Middle Eastern cats in the last one. With in, the, in, uh, uh, in what was one? the one called Rogue One. Rogue we got one. that one cat. And, yeah, and personally, just, I love that stuff because I. I mean, look at
2: as a white male, I got hit throw any character you want at me. I can relate to all of them because they're all fucking white males. All the cool badass ones, right? And a lot of the evil ones too. But usually, they're an ethnicity a lot of the time too. So, I mean, I I hear those complaints and I'm like, yeah, you know, why, why not? I'm always of that. Like, why not have more women in more different ethnicities in these films? We already got a bunch of fucking aliens. Why can't there be people with different skin complexions? And I feel like that is what these new movies are doing, right? There's a lot more diversity in it. And I get a lot of people like it's too much. They're forcing it in and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't really see that. I just, I I, I like that. I, I don't think it lands all the time super great, but I like them mixing it up and, But I'm also that guy that, like, I don't care if you change the gender or the ethnicity of any character. Um, I think it's shitty when it's supposed to be an Asian character or an all Asian cast and you have it all be white people because I'm just sick of just seeing white actors and actresses getting all the roles when they should be different ethnicities. I think there's a lot of talent out there that's not getting utilized because Hollywood doesn't think, you know, a different ethnicity can sell a leading film or something like that. You know, and I'm glad that they're taking chances here
0: i i I agree with a lot of your points, mark, but I think um in terms of just what I've heard other people comment on when you do something enough times, it inadvertently looks like a trend and a trend that people establish was if you look at all the leadership of the first order, it's all white men. If you look at the leadership of the resistance, it's all women, so it kind of inadvertently creates this women versus men tone, you know like because even though you have a Finn on this side or you have a Poe Dameron, you clearly have you see you see the established hierarchy in this movie. Uh, you know and so people are talking about that there's a uh, someone pointed out like apparently in terms of demographics seeing this film is a uh, 9% African-American males which they said is incredibly low um, and I think it's to a point because I kind of felt it from this movie um, some other people I've seen come to the conclusion Finn hasn't really worked out how they hoped he would um, he just hasn't worked and I think there's a lot of reasons I don't feel like they're giving him a lot to do I don't feel like what they're giving him he's to do trying to bail small.
1: the whole time like, like he's he two movies. He, of him, two movies. He's he, trying he, to bail.
0: He's he's trying to run away for a lot of these movies. Okay, they give him the cool rebel scum line at the end. They also, but then they give him the irrelevant c plot that just doesn't do anything. It's it's. I'm not sure what his character is. And here's my complaint, which has nothing to do with diversity. It's the weird forced sexual tension between Asian girl Rose, unreciprocated to um Finn. Meanwhile, I think Finn has a thing for Rey, which seems unreciprocated because her sexual tension's all with, with Kylo. Um, so it's just... It's weird, and maybe that's just the staple of Star Wars from the original trilogy to the prequel to this modern. People in Star Wars don't know how to write love stories. The Anakin Padme was awful. The infamous brother kissing his sister uh, till he knew the truth situation to this awkward... Quadrangle of square of unreciprocated love and going on, but that 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 was another thing that was shorn. I felt in that just didn't really work. But um, yeah, I, I I just think in terms of the diversity thing, I think it needs to go full circle. I think you need to show diversity on both sides. I agree. Phasma was a failure. The they the they've not had a good female villain in any of these movies. But if you go to the extended universe where you have like Asaji Ventress who was like an evil female Sith Lord and then you had Mara Jade in the extended universe who was turned partial villain for a part of time Um, I agree they're not really doing a lot in terms of making compelling female villains and the thing about them being the resistance leadership wasn't the trope of this movie that the resistance leadership was pretty incompetent they were just taking losses after losses failures after fails at the end of the day they were eight people
2: One of the things I did, this is like completely, aside, and I agree with you, they, Captain Phasma should have been that female villain, right? She should have been this badass soldier that was like, when they need shit to get done, or she should have basically been like the Boba Fett of the New Order, right? She should have been the one tracking down Finn and just like beating the shit out of everyone and just being like, yeah, you can't fuck with me. And they, they completely did not utilize her. And I agree with you. I, all the, the evil people are white males. I tend to not have that big of a problem with it because I think in the real world, most of the evil people are white males. Of course, there's different ethnicities that are, I mean, everyone's fucking evil to an extent, but I don't mind bad guys being white dudes because they're pretty fucking awful. And in basically every movie, the female characters are, you know, just thrown to the sidelines and not given any real gravitas or stakes they're just kind of there to be the trophy to win, and I think that's a really stupid trope. And I want to see, yeah, I want to see more diversity across the board. I feel like they're doing a better job. But the one thing I did not want to mention that was just stupid is, is completely aside. What the fuck is with those bombers? What the fuck is this this rebel ship that drops? Bo- First of all, I, I think I read this. It might have been in Bobby's article, or it was something I read. Like, there's no gravity in space. You can't drop shit down on stuff. that's not how it fucking works. This is it's a different galaxy, Mark. You remember one? Yeah. Darth
0: Vader has space wind when he's hanging out in the Hangar Bay and his cape is blowing around. There's space wind, okay?
1: It's just – it's so weird when it's like, like, oh, we got to get these. And like, cause I you, like, know, you know you know, how you know they're rebels? They have dirty helmets. That's how you know they're rebels.
2: I mean, and I can even buy like, oh, they have, like, they have <laughs> weird kind of like different weaponry and stuff. But it's just like when your ship has to fly over top another ship, that's just not good design – in a world where there's space lasers going everywhere i thought they, that was have, really cool.
0: they have they have homing torpedoes i mean one of the things that was cool in the prequel trilogy is do you remember the jango fett where like he would shoot those homing missiles which would be these gravity implosion bombs and it was like this deep guitar riff that would be the sound effect for it yeah i mean but, it, but meanwhile we have these manual bowling ball bombs which physically have to be dropped from above and that's the only way they could be...
2: And that being said, during the film, like, I bought it. And I was like, oh, shit, they got to get this bomber in front. Like, she's got to push that button. But, like, after the fact, I was like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Why the fuck would they do this? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there is definitely, you know, they could have done a lot with, you know, the different characters they had and ethnicities. Especially with the villains, I totally agree with that. And I think they definitely dropped some characters like Chewie and Captain Phasma. But, you know, that all being said, watching the movie and after the fact... And it wasn't really until today that i kind of read like oh a lot of people didn't like this movie like i because i basically just heard that the critical reception which has been fantastic i watched the movie i liked it a lot and like we mentioned there was definitely things that were like all right that was kind of silly dumb or not you know developed enough but i still enjoyed the film a lot and then to kind of come online today and be like oh shit, a lot of people are really upset but then i mean take a breather take five seconds realize it's a star wars movie of course people are going to be upset. I don't know if you can make a film that isn't going to rub somebody the wrong way because people are just so passionate about this franchise right like they they identify with it to an unhealthy extent i think a lot of people do and when there's certain plot holes and you know the film's not perfect in their eyes um they're going to be extremely critical right and it's like bobby said and and especially in this landscape and the environment we live in with the internet it's tens or zeros and if there's something wrong with it it's a zero and Very rarely does anything get a 10 from anybody, right? Like, it has to reach perfection, which is unrealistic
0: in a lot of
1: eyes. Yeah, it's just, you know, everybody, we all love Star Wars, but we all fell in love with Star Wars when we were kids. It's been a couple years, man, and it's not just all going to be a nostalgia trip, and if they make some changes, they make some changes. Movie's got its flaws, but um, we're an hour and a half, we're over an hour and 30 minutes into this thing. Um, Steph, I'm going to call it a day. Do you got anything to say before we peace out? I love Star Wars. But Here's my comment.
0: Force Awakens gave us a lot of questions that we theorized about going in to Last Jedi. Last Jedi doesn't really set up the next movie all that much because it seems so openly vague right now where everything stands. But here's my dread.
1: Carrie Fisher survived That was so weird. (laughs) Yo, when they blew her ass into space, I'm like, whoa, was that it? Yeah, that's what I thought. Are we done? (laughs)
0: That's the other thing. You know, he said, like, I didn't, this Holdo character didn't really need to happen. If that was Carrie Fisher's final, was light shipping her way through Snoke's ship, what a send-off that would have been for Carrie Fisher and and Princess Leia, you know, because that credit That would have been some serious
1: fucking CGI.
0: You know, in loving memory of our princess, you know, like, yeah, she's Carrie sac- Fisher is I, one of the celebrity deaths that most hurt, hit me, that I most felt just because of how much her character was a part of my childhood. So that's kind of my creeping trepidation feeling going through the next one. That's my final comment. Um, Carrie Fisher's character, did, Princess Leia didn't go out here, so I don't know how we organically write that in now.
2: My, um, what, what I heard online, and which kind of makes see. sense, and they could still have a touching moment, is that they just jump in the future like five years or something and she just passed right like she's just old and she just passed away um and i I, that's definitely the thing at the end of this film you're like wait they had so many moments where they could have you know written her off and they didn't but i mean she's not with us anymore it's hard they were
1: done making the movie man you do what you got to do yeah so it,
2: it was it was a weird decision i think you know and and i think just that scene, Bobby, when they blow her out the window, and it's like, oh, this is how they're going to write her off. I mean, it it, it wasn't yeah, like... A dude, great...
1: honestly, they probably thought about it. They're like, could we end it right there? Then they're like, man, we blew her out a window with like no anything. But, but, like, that's it. But what they came up with is like, how about we marry Poppins this chick right back into the ship? And it's like... <laughs> never happened before no
2: one flies through space in these movies but she like she was a they. goddamn yeah.
1: rocket all of a sudden she was a rocketeer i was like oh okay i We're think it's this. just
2: it's just another example right of this director being like i'm not gonna follow these these cookie cutter placeholders that you know these movies have been in i'm gonna s- s- switch things yeah. up and you think you it blasted out the window and you're dead because that's how fucking mace windu died but no nah, carrie fisher can fly through space
1: Get you do, you, do you remember in the clerk's cartoon where randall asks? Jay, uh, asks Dante something about Star Wars. Like, how come this is like this? And Dante goes, I don't know, the Force? And then Randall says, man, that's your answer for everything! <laughs> yeah. Alright? It's always the Force. And that's what it
2: was in this movie, too. It's like, how does she fly... I was, literally, we were just talking... And then Christine from across the room says, she has the force. And I'm like, I know, but no one flies through space. (laughs) But also, no one projects holograms across the universe either. And I think, Bobby, your excuse is, I I
1: just really liked it when, when Luke Skywalker talks about how when the Jedi were in charge, they fucked it up. He's like, man, we're a failed religion. I was just like, <laughs> I kind of enjoyed that. <laughs> Mark, to your point about when, uh,
0: when Princess Leia Mary Poppins it, I kind of got that line from Force Awakens when Finn tells Han we'll use the Force. And he's like, that's not how the Force works. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, is this a Force ability? I've never heard of this one. I've never heard of bringing yourself back to life in space. <laughs> like, But yeah, whatever. We, we, we let things go. We suspend our disbelief.
1: Yeah, because it's a all movie. right, guys. We're have uh, fun. Stefan <laughs> wanted us to talk more about Star Wars and MMA. We successfully did that. Um, thank you guys for listening again. Next week, the show is going to be on one day later. Um, so if you know, I, I imagine Wednesday morning, or if you're up late Tuesday night, um, it'll hit your uh, various podcasting apps. Um, I recommend Pocket Casts if you're an Android user. If you're not, if you're on. Can I, I direct download? Because
2: I wanted to listen to the last couple of our podcasts, but I only direct download, and that shit is yes. like impossible with SoundCloud. I'm like, just let me download, and they're like, you got a button
1: that says buttons. download
2: on 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 a SoundCloud? Yeah, because I clicked every goddamn button and none of them. And the one time I finally <laughs> found it, it was like, ooh, you can pay for SoundCloud Premium for five dollars a month. I was like. I also want to download our own stupid podcast. Jesus! Just God. get the fucking app. I do get have the app you I, want to... I'm bringing it in tomorrow. You're gonna to show me. I'm gonna be like an idiot. There's like a big button or something. Just hit play. But then, but then, doesn't it stream or is it downloaded?
1: That's the same. What difference does it make? You're
2: no, data either way. I'm gonna be listening in my car. I'm not gonna. I can't have it eating up my my sweet sweet three gigs of data. I get a month.
1: Our podcast is like 60 megabytes.
2: It used to be used to be higher. You'll show me tomorrow.
1: I fixed that. I'll show you. All right. Um yeah. So those of you who can manage on the SoundCloud app, we're on there. We're other places too. Um Mike should be back next week. Um thank you all for listening and uh may the force be with you. God was cheesy. Peace peace out. <laughs>